Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Sales and Marketing Alignment, three critical areas where collaboration is essential. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 378. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really looking forward to my conversation with today's guest. I've gotten to know him very recently, and um, we've had great conversations so far, so I know this will be another good one. He's the CEO of ATAK Interactive, a service-first agency that provides web development and digital marketing solutions. He has built an extensive career in various roles in marketing and marketing leadership, so he really understands that kind of balance between marketing and business growth and the rest of the organization. He is based in lovely Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Austin LaRoche. Hey, thanks for having me, Elizabeth. I am so glad that you could join me. I just shared the high level, you know, bits of your bio, but could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, which I, I think also is a, you know, a code word for a bad employee. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, so from the second I left college, my first job, I worked with my parents to start a nonprofit uh, for uh, special needs adults uh, in uh, the Atlanta area where I grew up. And it was there that I realized that I loved being able to work with my, I guess I can't say work uh, completely for myself, but uh, for myself and my family and be able to have the freedom to be able to, you know, when you have those great ideas to be able to act on them and to build something and see it come to fruition. And uh, so after uh, after that, I uh, went to grad school to uh, get a communications master's where I really dug deep into learning more about kind of digital media and how things were changing. I started working at the Chicago Tribune uh, for a little bit. Uh, I was a social media intern in 2008. I didn't even know what that was. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I started working in their SEO department a little bit later and then decided to start my own uh, agency after that. And man, there were some bumpy roads trying to start a business, um, you know, uh, by, by myself at that point. Uh, I had a, a small agency that was uh, called the Exacta Group. I was living in uh, New Orleans at the time. I uh, was there for a couple of years and was working with a couple of B2C brands and uh, moved out to Los Angeles in about 2011. And there I started working um, with a startup called uh, Dog Vacay and doing uh, some marketing there while I was doing my uh, my agency on the side. It was glorified freelancing. <laughs> and then I moved on from that. And again, that bad employee thing, that experience where you're you're working and you've got these ideas and you know they're awesome and they're great. And somebody goes, ah, I think we're going to do it this way. And you're kind of like, huh? What? <laughs> huh? Why? No. <laughs> no, but I'm in charge. No. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, good, good learning <laughs> life lessons there. Uh, and and then uh, I went back and really doubled down on the work that I was doing and uh, met the founders of Attack Interactive, which was much more of a web development company at that time. I was doing marketing and they had a couple projects that they um, wanted some help with. And we started working together. We realized it was a great fit naturally. Uh, and so we merged our, our companies together. Uh, that was back in uh, 2014. And you know we've been able to uh, continue to grow year over year since then. I became CEO in 2020. Uh, right before the pandemic, always fun to uh, to take the reins right before the uh, international crisis. But um, you know, when we first started together, even though we merged our companies, we were still in that zone of like, you know, we'll take any 
any customer who will pay us, right? You know, that's, the, that, that's how you have to start, unfortunately. It's so, it's so great to be over that hump. But in, in that light, we started getting a lot of B2B opportunities. And mm-hmm. so I started really working with a lot of sales teams because I realized that our market was, you know, kind of that like, let's call it small to mid, 10 to $200 million privately owned company. Uh, and they typically were in the B2B space and those companies really structure their their internal employees to where there's a lot more of uh, sales employees than marketing employees. And so essentially we became like an outsourced marketing department for a lot of these different types of companies and really started getting a knack into uh, the world of B2B marketing. Five years ago, we dove in and became a, a HubSpot partner. We we're able to become a platinum partner fairly quickly, uh, big, big proponents of the HubSpot platform for, for marketing and um, a lot of uh, sales as well. We do a lot uh, inside of HubSpot. We do uh, a lot of HubSpot Salesforce integrations as well, which I'm sure has uh, been the bane of the existence of some of your listeners here. Uh, mm-hmm. actually, actually, just recorded a short video yesterday. I'll be posted on my LinkedIn soon about the Salesforce HubSpot integration uh, and all the, the intricacies of that. But, you know, really along the way, what I've, I've tried to be able to do is really build a company that is, you, you know, that you're getting a really strong custom solution from. And it's one of those things I'll debate with business coaches about the ability, you know, um, customization versus scale, right? I, I wish there was some marketing package that I could create that was a, a flat fee and could deliver you the exact results that you wanted. But the truth of the matter is where we've been able to have success and, and grow at a more pragmatic pace is by really listening to our customers their problems, mm. their desires, and to be able to come up with custom solutions, whether it's fixing uh, a CRM and automating processes or being, you know, or generating real leads uh, for their sales team, they're helping with the conversion rate optimization. You know, I, I think for, I think great marketing is is specific and it's specific to an organization. And so uh, I've, I've led that philosophy, uh, you know, my, my whole career. And, uh, you know, we, we do it all uh, with a smile on our face, but we recognize that everybody's problems unique and their solution is going to be unique. And so we get in there and we problem solve. So I think that was a very, very long answer to a very simple mm-hmm. question. But did I get all the beats? Absolutely. And I, I really, I, I appreciate that because um, you shared a lot about yourself and, and your kind of core philosophy, your core approach in there. And one thing that, that I've heard in my prior conversations with you and that I think came out in what you just said is that idea of understanding how marketing fits into sales and business growth. Because like you said, a lot of small to mid-sized organizations they don't necessarily have a robust marketing function. And marketing can mean so many different things, right? Marketing can mean anything from, you know, design a new logo to make a pretty PowerPoint to figure out what our brand message is to um, generate leads and, you know, produce events and, and, and all kinds of other elements that can be involved in marketing. And, so I'd love to hear, you know, it, it, it really did resonate that you said everything is going to be to solve the specific problems of an individual client that you're working with. But this idea that you have that, that marketing needs to be tied to sales and tied to business growth, I'd love to hear you take kind of a deep dive into, into really what that means and why that's so important to you and to your client. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's the evolution of, of marketing in general, right? I mean, way back in the day, this is an industry that got by on telling everybody that 50% of marketing works, you just can't tell which 50%, right? Wow, what a wonderful business to be in. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think even even still today, and you see it a little bit more on the B2C side, uh, a lot more of an emphasis on brand marketing than demand marketing. And in the business that we're at, uh, more on the B2B side, we're you know, we have to get results and marketing has never been more responsible than, than it is now. We've never, mm-hmm. you know, outs, right? We've got enough data. We've got enough amazing mechanisms and reporting. We know if what we're doing is working or not. And so it's definitely been a massive shift in recognizing that, like, we can't just come up with, like, the coolest idea for a campaign, launch it, and everybody goes on high fives and says, oh, great. You know, let's say even, you know, 10 years ago, a lot of our customers, we'd be creating these campaigns that would have, you know, ads and trade magazines. And then we'd have supportive social media content um, and things on the website. And, you know, it everyone just loved the way and, and, you know, would even lead up to a trade show and everyone would love the way that it looked and the creativity and everybody gave high fives. And and that's what again, that was a nice world to live in. But we're living in a more. A fulfilling world, even if it's more demanding, by now having to be absolutely responsible for every function of of marketing. And I always try and break down the the growth cycle into you know you know four different buckets. You know, based on on that that customer's uh, life cycle. Right, you're attracting a prospect, you're converting a prospect into an opportunity, you're closing an opportunity into a customer, and you're delighting a customer. And so any marketing activity that I'm going to be responsible for is going to be in one of those four buckets. And in those four buckets, I know exactly what it is that we need to do to be successful. What is the KPI, right? Attract, okay, attract prospects. So, all right, we're working with the sales team. They're currently, they've got their their teams uh, going out, knocking on doors. Uh, and now we probably need to get some inbound leads, right? So what's the best way for us to do that. You know, where does search come into play there? Where would advertising on a social media platform like LinkedIn come in? You know, where would automating some of these uh, messages, uh, outbound emails, where would that come in? You know, and really recognizing what success looks like, right? How many leads have to come in for that to be successful? How much traffic needs to go to the website? And then when we get to that convert stage, what I feel like, I mean, that's, that's persuasion right there. That's, that's where we're trying to you know, with the as best we can, whether it be a, a landing page or at a booth or anywhere, be able to get somebody to say, "Oh, this looks interesting. I'll take some sort of leap. I will give them my contact information. I will sign up for a webinar. I will download this uh, ebook. I will give them my information because I'm interested enough in what they have to say." And then, typically, once that happens, sales definitely takes over on the uh, the closing that opportunity into a customer side. But any tools that we can help salespeople with, whether it be uh, automating emails or just uh, automating processes, right? Somebody hasn't emailed you back in three days, and we automate uh, a task going into you know uh, pinging a salesperson. Oh, okay, great. I know I need to follow up with this person. Great. You know, whatever we can do to make that salesperson's life easier and to make it easier to close deals. That's what we want to do in that stage. And then, of course, once somebody is a customer, we want to make sure that we're providing them with all the great educational materials that they need to be super happy and excited and not just be our customers, but uh, become our evangelists. So that's kind of the, the process of, of how we work. Is that, was that a deep enough dive? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I really love that because like you said, within the B2B space, especially, which is where most of our listeners are, are sitting as well, that idea of just kind of general branding isn't as relevant necessarily. You don't need to be known by everybody on the planet. Like uh, a lot of these major, you know, B2C companies are, you need to be known by the specific people who might buy your services. And that even means you don't need to be known by a whole company. You need to be known by the people in the right department <laughs> at that company who would be using your, your services or, or buying your product. And when you're working on things as, as broad as branding, when you're thinking about all of that, again, it's not, it's not that it's not important, but that's not going to necessarily attract the specific leads. Yeah that you're looking for and thinking about what it takes to attract, you know, uh, the head of HR in a business of this type is very different from who are we? What do we, mm -hmm. you know, what do we represent in the world? Yeah. I mean, branding, gosh, it means so many things to so many different people. I, I do think um, when you break it down, brands definitely need to know how to clearly articulate their value propositions. They need to know why their target market should care why and the impact that they can create. I think that um, is is a big thing. I, I also really subscribe to the story brand philosophy as well. Uh, story brand book written by Donald Miller. And I, I, I mean, they have these consultants and it, it's a little bit overblown at this point, but the, the concept I really like, and he's a former screenwriter who essentially said, hey, every movie you've ever seen is the exact same. We have a hero and the hero wants something and then gets in a little bit of a rut. But then he meets a guide and a guide helps him go where he, he wants to be. And he gets to the big event and the stakes are high and, you know, uh, he saves the day. You know, classic uh, example being Star Wars, Luke Skywalker and Yoda. Right. And I think a lot of people are always like, we've got to tell our story. we got to tell our story. And they think that they need to be the Luke Skywalker. But what they don't recognize is their customer is the Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and they are the Yoda. And they're responsible to help the hero get where they want to be. And so whether it's sales or marketing, I think we're always trying to understand what the customer's uh, version of the promised land is and then be able to make sure that our service or product can help them get where they want to go. So I do think there are definitely elements of brands that are important in the marketing and sales process. But man, you can't you can't overblow it. I mean, I know I was joking with you the other day about how two of my favorite logos are uh, Crate and Barrel and the Container Store, right? Mm -hmm. Just simple alphabetica. They look great, though. And you know, it it's not you don't have to overthink so many of those different uh, elements. Design is still important. I mean, you can go to our site www.atakinteractive.com, and like you'll see, like we I love good design. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love clean, sophisticated design, but it doesn't have to be like oh, overdone and it, it's not necessarily a, a make or break. I've seen a lot of, I'll tell you some of my favorite customers are, are customers who come to me and they're like, well, we're doing really good offline and you know, our business is growing and I just look at it, their, their, their brand and I think, my gosh, well, it's not really, you know, it, it kind of is reflecting a, a, not necessarily the industry leader that sounds like you are. Can I just give you a quick little refresh? Nothing crazy. But, you know, just I'm not I don't need to, to redo a, a legacy logo that everyone's loved for 60 years. But can I just can I can I make you look like the industry leader that you are? Because I do think when you look that part, you know, somebody might come to your website, 
And in that convert state and in that stage where they've been they've attracted they've been attracted to the website and they see it. And then they're like, wow, okay, these guys look the part. I'm gonna, you know, I'll take the leap. I'll give them my information. I'll download the ebook. I'm, you know, so there are some areas where I do think brand is really important, but I think where companies can get really in big trouble and waste lots of dollars is when they overthink the brand. And then essentially and then a a massive problem on the B2B side is if they bring in uh, a marketing leader, whether it be a VP or CMO, who is a lot more brand driven than demand driven. That's when you start seeing a lot of the um, the butting heads with the uh, the head of sales. And, you know, I think we all know that if marketing and sales aren't on the same page, uh, that is uh, that's a recipe for disaster. So branding has its place for sure. But um, you got to be careful with it and you got to know where it kind of fits into those buckets of that attract, convert, close to light, right? Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, there's, there's, if you don't have the demand generation, if you don't have people who want to go to your website, you could have the most amazing website in the entire world and it really doesn't matter. And so it, it's, it's that understanding between marketing and sales of, okay, who's going to be actually driving the traffic to the website? Who's going to be making sure if we have a webinar that people show up to that webinar? And it, it does vary in organizations who's responsible for different parts of that. But making sure you're on the same page, making sure you're allocating resources appropriately is really critical there. And if you if you have, you know, a limited amount of dollars to spend, like you said, making sure you're not looking like a rinky dink little company um, whose website was built in, you know, 1992. Um, <laughs> and just getting enough there to to appropriately represent yourself. But then really, if if you've got, again, limited spend, focusing on that demand generation. Yeah. And I think what's what's interesting is when you talk about divvying up roles, sales, they, they're in that same attract, convert, close the light structure that marketing is, right? We're on the mm -hmm. same structure. It's just, you know, maybe we're we're making phone calls or we're showing up at events, we're knocking on doors in the attract phase. We've got to convert them. We've got to, you know, see if they'll take a meeting with us. And a lot of time that's just, you know, a good articulation of value propositions. And then obviously the, the close process is, is a sales function and even delighting customers. I know so many sales organizations, um, you know, the retaining customers is a big part of what they have to do and making sure that those customers are really happy and they uh, feel like the promise that sales has given has been fulfilled by the product or service. And so, you know, I, I think if you can can kind of look at that structure and realize that we're both playing together uh, on the same ball field there, I think it becomes easier to team up in that in that regard. I think it becomes easier to recognize what everyone's function is and where the support is and, and what everyone's supposed to do. So I know the sales marketing divide has obviously been a, a long, a long standing. There's been tension, let's just say, uh, on both sides. But uh, I think it's easier than ever before for these two functions to come together and, and work and be in the same trenches. Absolutely. And that's a that's a great observation. Just, you know, anytime you have a process or flow that everybody's on the same page with, you know, understanding, okay, attract is something we all need to do as an organization. What, what is marketing doing there? And what is sales doing there? And we've got to make sure we're not conflicting with each other. We've got to make sure that we're supporting, you know, as you said, uh, a lot of times you'll also find in an organization, if, if a lot of work has been done on coming up with a message and a value prop and the sales team 
doesn't get it or doesn't like it or doesn't think that it resonates with customers, they're not actually going to use it. And so you've you've put all this time and effort into coming up with, here's the message we want you to say, you know, here's the video we want you to start every every meeting with. And then you're wondering, you know, why isn't this, why isn't this working? It's like, guess what? It's not even being used. So um, that that alignment is important even just to make sure that you're that you're actually leveraging the investments that you have made. What a what a great point. And I, I can't tell you how many times we've taken over from something where the messaging has been off. And you know, what I, I always do is I go straight to the guys who are talking to the customers. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean, like again, if if what we're doing in marketing and sales is really serving a target market and we're being authentic in what we're doing and and trying to deliver the best solution for them, then we should talk to the people who are super happy with everything and understand why they're happy, what it is that they like. You know, because that's that's where you get the right value proposition. It's not looking at it from the outside and thinking, here's my guess. Here's what I think. Right. I mean, that's that's just part of the the world we're in now. There's so it's so easy to accumulate data, whether in the marketing side of A-B testing or simply doing a survey with your, uh, you know, your happy customers like we can we can get these data points and we can market based on what uh, the data is telling us. And it puts us in such a better position to succeed. So it's to me, it, it's absolutely critical to figure out how to get the best data quickly and to be able to start marketing once you understand a little bit about a customer uh, and uh, how they engage with your product or service. Yeah. And what, and what I'm kind of hearing there, right, is you've got a couple elements. You've got, first of all, this group of salespeople who are probably having more conversations with prospects and clients than the marketing team. And so getting that human intelligence, but also the fact that it is much easier now to get some level of market research. And it's it's never been easier to, you know, survey clients and, and get insights from clients and get even um, insights that people aren't aware that they're providing by seeing heat maps on websites and seeing, you know, what kinds of content are people actually engaging with and what content do they ignore? Because salespeople aren't always right. And having these technologies and and making sure that the sales team understands, hey, you know, we we tested these messages. Here are here are the different things that we send out. And guess what? This one had twice the open rate and, and people really clicked. They spent the most time on this landing page versus that landing page. You don't need to go into, you know, a full technical explanation of everything, but certainly that idea of, you know, my personal experience and my assumptions might not always be correct, but taking those and combining them with the research and understanding that, you know, maybe I've, I've talked about something with 10 different prospects and I've got a certain level of feedback, but you were able to analyze, you know, hundreds of prospects who looked at the website and you might have a broader perspective. And so that, that balance between the different kinds of input to decision-making is really important here. Yeah, that's uh, it reminds me of a time when I, I had uh, to eat a, a big slice of humble pie. <laughs> I um, uh, so I was a creative writing major. So anytime when it comes to like writing and, and those things, I, I think that I'm I've got what it takes. I've got the chops. I'm uh, I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to create the best, sharpest copy ever. And when my company started investing in Google ads uh, for our, our own company and our own campaigns, I would write the head, the, you know, the headlines, and they sounded so cool. And things I 
I thought people would click on. And my team was like, hey, like the competitors are just doing this stuff. And it's like, I can't tell you how boring that stuff is, you guys. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it like, why would you click on that? It's like, oh, yeah, I basically do digital marketing, great, whatever. So I kept writing and no conversions, no conversions, no conversions. Eventually I said, okay, fine, we'll do it your way. We'll start seeing, we'll just put all the boring copy up and then we'll just see what happens. Fair enough. <laughs> Great, clear, concise. And and that's what I recognize that like, that is in a nutshell, this transition that marketing is going through uh, over the last decade of like, we're no longer creative geniuses who pat ourselves on the back uh, and say, oh my gosh, our idea is so great. We need to be putting out many, many messages to many, many people and measuring that engagement and then seeing based on what the data tells us where it is we should be going with our messaging. And um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a, a hard, hard pill to swallow, but, uh, you know, it taught me a great life lesson and it's been able to be uh, very, very impactful for our customers since, so... <laughs> Definitely. And it, it's something that we often even see the difference between, okay, if I'm a buyer, I might not know the language of the solution that I need. I know the language of the problem that I have. And so if I'm searching for something, I'm going to search, how do I solve problem? Right? I'm not going to search what is the best solution, because maybe I don't know. And certainly, I'm going to then evaluate, okay, how do I solve the problem? Oh, I see that there are solutions of these different types. But if I can, if you as an organization show up in that first stage of how do I solve problem, you're like, well, one thing is using this product. One thing is using this solution. Then when I go through the process of, okay, how do I pick the best solution? You're already in my mind as somebody who who solves that problem, who, who understands what you're talking about here. And I'm waiting you higher. You don't want to show up just in that latest stage of, okay, now I want to compare the different solutions now that I know what kind of solution that I want. And so, you know, showing up at the different stages of that buyer journey as a trusted advisor, as an expert, really depends on understanding the, the simplicity of the expectation from the buyer. They're not looking for the, the most amazing you know, complex articulation of how the solution works at first, they're just looking for, hey, I've got this problem. How should I think about it? <laughs> what are what are the different kinds of things that I can do to solve it? And it's amazing how often I'll go to a website and I can't really tell what problem they solve for. And what that means is I often can't tell what they do. <laughs> and that that makes it really difficult to understand like, who is the audience for this website and, and what are they supposed to be getting out of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, marketing to the problem, there's not a better way uh, to really articulate how you can make someone's life better than by looking at their problem and identifying their problem, uh, making it clear that they're not crazy for having the problem. Like it's, uh, it's mm -hmm. a very common uh, thing. Uh, but the, you've been able to carve some sort of uh, expertise or, you know, or, or just some sort of solution that can um, make make their life better and uh, being able to articulate that and meet them where they're at. Right. Because every sales cycle is is so different and it's based so much on the different sale uh, and the personalities on the other side. Right. I've um, uh, I've met some people who are quick starts, which is uh, 
uh, comes from the Colby personality assessment and just people who essentially like to move fast and make decisions quickly. And I've been able to be on, on sales calls where I've closed somebody for in a, you know, 15, 20 minute conversation. Uh, I wish that was a much larger part of the population, uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, uh, most people, uh, they do, they, they need to kind of go at their own pace and they need to feel comfortable at, at each stage. And they need to feel like if they have a question, you're, they're not, they're not being rushed or they're not being looked at like they're buffoons, you know, they, they just, you know, they, they want to feel like you're there to, to make their life better. Um, and so, you know, when you're able to do that, I think that's when, when everything really comes together and you can really, uh, problem solve, uh, for, for what the customer's looking for. Absolutely. Now, something that you touched on earlier, and I don't want to, I don't want to let this go because I think this is an area of a lot of friction and a lot of confusion where you have a lot of expertise is just how technology supports all of this, right? You mentioned that that you work with HubSpot and are uh, a HubSpot partner and and that lovely integration between HubSpot and Salesforce and how many organizations are using both tools and, and whether they're using both effectively uh, is maybe in question. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how teams can think about leveraging technology to support better workflow, better um you know, a better working relationship and better information sharing between marketing and sales? Yeah. I mean, wow. There's, you know, tiny one of the little question I, there. Yeah. No, I always joke because everyone's CRM is, uh, and, and marketing needs are, are so unique to them, but I can at least kind of go through a, a few different, uh, you know, use cases and, and benefits. I, I think the, the first thing that, uh, I always make sure that we know on the marketing side is, what does sales need to get the deal? What do they not need? Because we get so excited about all of the automation that is possible with these tools, but sometimes automation can go the wrong way, right? If the if we have some sort of automation that sends somebody an email uh, when they've been moved to a different stage of a deal, and you know, let's say a, a, a salesperson moves a, a customer to, to close one. And then they get some welcome email, but maybe it just wasn't the, the right time or it wasn't, you know, the, the salesperson wanted to be the one to be able to kind of take that next step. Like then, then that becomes a bad thing. Automation, that's automation going wrong. We don't want automation to go wrong. So we always want to make sure that we're talking with salespeople and saying, okay, what type of automation makes your life better? What's going to help you save time, close deals? Because the thing with salespeople I always love is like, you know, we can set up these CRMs and uh, we can build in all this automation. Uh, but at the end of the day, salespeople love selling. They don't love putting notes in a CRM. <laughs> they, don't like, they don't like having to get, I mean, that's, that's the admin part that's not fun. Maybe there is joy in dragging a closed deal to close one. I think we all felt that before. But for the most part, like the CRM, I don't say bane of the existence, but it's not the fun part. You know, the fun part is the conversations and getting excited with customers and showing them how you can solve their problem. And, you know, that, you know, that feeling of, of knowing that we're the right solution and seeing that they know that we're the right solution and that coming together with, with a deal. Um, but I think where technology can can help with that is, you know, especially when you're talking about like the buyer's journey and trying to get the right message to the right person at the right time. So there are those longer sales cycles, right? Where, you know, a salesperson 
doesn't necessarily want to call every month or week and say, hey, yeah, I just want to see where you guys were at with that. You know, and so that's where it's great to be able to put uh, workflows together so that you can send that prospect just cool information that's relative to what they're they're interested in. Right. It's about sending that right message to the right person at the right time and trying to to figure out with a, a sales team exactly what that would look like based on the use case of the customer. I think the other thing that's really neat about, you know, the technology these days is the visibility. Uh, I think being see where people are, you know, um, working with HubSpot, you can see the different pages that they go to on your website. You know, if they filled out a form, uh, you can see different areas that they've uh, they've looked at different um, pages. There's also this great feature uh, on HubSpot uh, where if you upload a document, so let's say you send your proposal uh, to them and a a PDF, you can literally see how many seconds and minutes they look at each page, which is funny because they always scroll to the pricing page uh, super fast. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I got enough data to tell you that's the truth. But, you know, so, so there is so much consumer intelligence that you can get with these tools that make it uh, great for salespeople to be able to say, okay, this is what the customer is really interested in. And therefore, this is what we need to be talking with them a little bit more about. These are the points that we have to hit because, you know, a big part of sales and marketing is overcoming those customer hesitations. And so being able to get any sort of insight into where somebody might be a little hung up gives you the opportunity to then be able to give them the the message that they need to hear. Absolutely. And, you know, as you're describing these things, I think it's also understanding hey, salespeople are going to find this information useful. And so are we making sure as an organization that we that we set this up and that we show the sales team where they can access this information? And that's going to make them much more likely to use the system <laughs> than if they feel like I'm just putting information into the system and constantly being asked to update things and update status and, and put, my, put in notes and I'm not getting anything out of it. So first of all, making sure that you actually enable <laughs> the 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 useful features, the the more fun features, the the more engaging features, and then make sure your team actually knows about them. Because there are going to be the more techie people on the sales team who are going to poke around and, and find all this stuff. But making sure that that it's broadly understood is really important. And then, you know, how do you actually use that? Like you said, um, you know, understanding where people actually spent time in the proposal. What does that mean? Does that mean that they, that they, got that, that they really like that? Does that mean that they're concerned about it? And and not just assuming that you know, based on where they spent time, what they were thinking when they were doing that, but certainly knowing, hey, they, they visited these pages of the website, or they looked at these pages of the proposal of, of the document, that does provide you a great deal of insight that can spark a, a more productive conversation than if you're just kind of guessing. One thing that I want to touch on relatively quickly, just because I know this is something that you that you think and talk about and something that I'm seeing in a lot more organizations, I, I, I have a feeling you're seeing this more as well, is this idea of having a chief revenue officer, or a chief revenue office that really oversees both kind of marketing and sales and taking into account everything associated with revenue. Do you have any any stories, any examples of where you're seeing this kind of change and and why you think it is that organizations are, are moving toward this model? Well, I think they're moving to the model. I mean, it, because traditionally sales and marketing, like nobody, I think people in general are a little afraid to own things, right? You know, if, if you have a head of sales, and you have a marketing 
and you don't have somebody overseeing them both as a chief revenue officer, you can play the blame game, right? They're not mm-hmm. sending enough leads. They're not reaching out fast enough to the leads that we do drive, you know, and then you're, then there's just this massive friction. So with the, having a chief revenue officer, first off, the, the best part is this person's like, this is what I'm responsible for. So sales and marketing have to be playing together. So, you know, there's, there's the accountability part, which is huge for organizations, but then there's the principal part too, where you have to make sure both, you know, your, uh, your, both your students are, are playing nice together in the sandbox uh, and getting those to be working together. And I think it's just, you know, having somebody like that who oversees everything, it's, it's very harmonious and it takes a lot of the friction and the feeling of like, if we don't do this, we're going to get the blame for this. You know, it, it again, it helps unite that sales and marketing because every, you know, a united front is where everybody wants to be uh, in, in this business because we know when we're working together just how impactful and powerful it can be. And I think a chief revenue officer and make and, and having your head of sales and head of marketing report to him uh, is, is just critical. Uh, I, I'd say it's a, a massive shift that has been uh, a wonderful, wonderful change. I've even seen it in just the last decade, uh, and it's been very impactful for a lot of our customers, a lot of our customer relationships too. So, um, you know who understands both functions and how they have to play together is uh, is vital. Absolutely. It's something, like I said, we're, we're seeing as well. And um, it, they, they make an excellent partner because they have that more holistic understanding. And they can also, like you said, make, make people play a little bit better in the sandbox if necessary. <laughs> All right. A question I, I love to ask our guests because everybody's looking at different things and, and has a different perspective. What are some trends that you're keeping an eye on right now? Oh my, the, uh, the AI Armageddon, all of us are going to be replaced by AI, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, listen, I, I think AI is a very cool, uh, interesting, we're in a neat stage of technology and it can do so much. Um, but I'm of the belief that uh, what I've always said is that part of our job is to bring the latest technology to our customers to help them grow their business. Because if that's what we do, then theoretically, we should never go out of business, right? Uh, and given that AI is the, the newest technology, I, I think it's not one of these things that's going to replace humans. It's not. I don't feel like our uh, our agency is a threat to the agency. What I feel like is that it's a tool that everybody in marketing and probably sales too is going to need to know how to utilize to be able to move faster. Um, you know, on, on the marketing side, people are going to be able to build websites so much quicker in the next from now, I think it'll probably get more of a global adoption, let's say in the next two to three years. Uh, but that is absolutely an area where, uh, you know, it, it's a process to redo a website uh, and it takes longer than anybody ever wants it to. But when you really understand AI and you can move quickly and you can uh, test different messages and you can show different things to the client fast, then you're going to be able to move much, much quicker and it's going to be more impactful for everybody involved. So, I think the the big thing with AI is recognizing how to utilize the tools to move fast, um, how to learn the tools because it's going to be a big part of your job. If you're if you're a marketer listening to this, it's going to be a big big part of your job. Uh, and um, I do think that at the same time, as everything moves to a lot more of AI digital communications, um, it's going to the need for human authenticity on the mm-hmm. sales side is going to be greater than ever. 
Um, so it's, it's going to have to be balancing those two things because uh, nobody wants to talk to a bot. Uh, nobody wants to feel like they're talking to a bot. <laughs> but, you know, there are bots that can make everything, a lot of the functions of what we do move much quicker. And so uh, that's going to be a big balance that everyone uh, in both sales and marketing are going to have to juggle with uh, here uh, in the next few years because this is it's here and it's uh, not going anywhere. Absolutely. I, I really love that perspective. And like you said, it's it's figuring out that right balance, um, figuring out where and how you can leverage it to, you know, to make things easier, to make things faster without losing that human touch. And I think something that that a lot of people don't understand about the, the different AI chatbots that, that are out there right now is they're all based on information that already exists and looking back. And so it's it's amazing. You know, if you think about it, if I knew everything that had ever been published on the internet and could look back at all of that, I would certainly be able to make, you know, better predictions for the future and um, and better ideas. But there's there's that spark of genius that people have, the, the weird, crazy, creative ideas that they come up with. The chatbots can't currently do that right now. And and that's something where um, there's still that that, you know, magic of of the human brain and it's weirdness. And so there's the human touch when it comes to actually feeling supported and feeling listened to when you have a problem or you have a concern. And um, there are a lot of different ways that that we can make sure that we're using the technology and not being replaced by the technology. And um, I really heard that and what, what it is, was that you said. All right. Uh, what are some resources that you might recommend to our listeners? They can be, um, you know, books. You, you've already recommended, I think, a couple of books over the course of our conversation, and we'll make sure to to pull those out into the show notes. But um, are there any, you know, blogs or websites or tools or, or podcasts or anything else that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, you know, I uh, I definitely like a lot more um, of the like entrepreneurial kind of kind of books I, I probably spend more time there than I do uh, on on marketing and sales but I've always really enjoyed Godin uh, and he has this book called this is marketing and a lot of the concepts are definitely a, a little bit uh, more b to b to c but there's the, the thing that I try to really get people to to connect with with the, that book this is marketing uh, by Seth Godin is you're not going to be everything for everybody and you've got to have a point of view and you've got to recognize that there's this philosophy that people have. It's like people like us do things like this and they're going to resonate with people they feel are like them. And it's okay that not everybody is, is, is that person. And I think it's, you know, it's very hard for companies to be able to have a point of view, to know that they can really lean in and become uh, really popular with a certain segment of people and not the others. And um, I just think it's something that people, you can't, you can't hear it enough, uh, in my opinion. So uh, I think that's a, that's a great book. I know I mentioned Story Brand earlier, which is a really great concept as well. So um, yeah, I, I'd say those, those are two, uh, two good places to, to check out. Definitely. Second both of those myself. All right. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Uh, go over to our website at www.atakinteractive.com dot com. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, check us out and see. Uh, uh, we've got some work that we've done up there as well as some of the capabilities and, and what we can do uh, as well. 
All right. Perfect. Thank you again for joining me, Austin. I have really enjoyed this conversation and I know our listeners will as well. Yeah, Elizabeth, this was great. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 378. If you're enjoying the show, the best way to help us grow is to recommend us to a friend. That'll help more people discover it. If you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that now. You can subscribe for free on whatever your favorite platform is. We love feedback. Please leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Or if you have any direct feedback, questions, or suggested guests, you can email us, podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. What are you doing to enable buying today?